Well, happy New Year's Eve, Eve. We are coming up to the close of a, another year, 2018. I know for probably all of us, we had a lot of ups and downs, and uh, it's just great to be able to come together and to celebrate another year where God has been alive and at work uh, miss ourselves and our church. I know for myself, uh, one of the things I really enjoy as I look back into 2018 uh, is I get to teach my nephews and my niece swim lessons every summer. It's a really fun time to bond with them, to uh, play in the pool, and to teach them some, some cool skills. Uh, so my niece, who was the youngest uh, a couple years ago, uh, was just learning how to swim on her own. So, you know, we're going over strokes, breathing, kicking, and things like that. And at the end of our swim lesson, the most exciting part is we'd go to the deep end. Very scary. Uh, and in the deep end is the diving board. And so the first time we did this, uh, you know, she went to the edge of the diving board, was looking at the deep end, and I jumped in, and I sat, well, not sat, I was swimming in the water, wading in the water, and saying, hey, Clay, I'm going to be right here. I promise you I'll catch you. Just jump in. Jump in. So she looked a little nervous, knees were wobbly, a little shaky. Uh, but I, I told her, I said, Clay, I'm right here. I'm going to catch you. I promise. So I think as she was kind of feeling maybe a little scared, maybe a little doubtful, is those, scare, those, uh, those doubts she had were in herself. Well, I've never done this before. Uh, I can't swim that good yet. The deep end looks really, really, really scary. Uh, so I'm going to assume that most of her fears were in herself and not in whether I was going to catch her or not. At least I think. <laughs> so eventually she jumped in. You know, I caught her, we swam to the side, and that's been the most exciting part of our swim lessons. We look forward to the end because we know that diving board awaits us. And now today, you know, I, I watch her jump off from the side, and I just cheer her as she swims to the side by herself. But something from the story is we see some really great themes of faith and about promises. And I want us to think about our own lives uh, where the deep end looks really, really scary. You know, we're coming up to a new year, and maybe there's something in 2019 that looks like a deep end to you. Maybe it's a, a big surgery coming up, taking a stand for what you believe in at work, sending a kid off to college, saying no to peer pressure at school, how you're going to manage financially this year, and you're wondering, how is this going to work? So what is your deep end for 2019? Something you're scared to jump into. You're right on the edge, two days away. You're shaking, your knees are wobbly, and you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. So here we are, just a couple days away, and a lot of times we don't jump. We get too scared. We think about our own inadequacies, our own abilities, our failures, our mistakes, yet we have a God who is faithful, who fulfills his promises. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I forget this all too often. I think so often I'm, I'm on the diving board and I think there's no one in the deep end there to catch me. I need to remind myself that God, this upcoming year, is right there looking at me saying, I'm right here. I promise you I'll catch you. And I pray that you will do the same. And a story in the Bible that reflects this so well is something we find early on in the scriptures. It's a story of Abraham and Sarah. It's such an amazing act of faith and one where God keeps his promises. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis 12. This is where we are going to start. And as you open up to that, uh, I want to tell you a quote from a children's Bible. Uh, I started reading to my son, Bennett. And in this story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, I just love this line that the way they read it to children. And it says this, 
Abraham believed what God said more than what he saw. Abraham believed what God said more than what he saw. And like my niece, and like us, we see a scary deep end. We see a really scary deep end. We look at ourselves and we say, there's no way I can do this. I can't swim that well. I'm not good enough. It looks impossible to world standards. Yet we have a God who's there looking at us saying, I'm right here. I'm going to catch you. Our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the chance to come celebrate a year, uh, just a year where you've been at work at our church and our lives. So we just give you praise and we give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for making promises. And God, we praise you for keeping those promises. So Lord, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, let's jump in, all right? Genesis 12, chapter 1. Uh, 12, verse 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So right in the beginning, we see such an important word. Will show. This is the Hebrew word areda, which is to show or reveal, and it's in the imperfect tense. So what does that mean? It's an incomplete action. It means that God hasn't told Abram where he's supposed to be going. He just says, leave, I'll show you. That's crazy. God is the only compass that Abram can go off of on this journey. What an act of faith. No questions asked, nothing. Abram jumped in. Yet we would say, well, how long? What do I need to pack? Are we coming back? Which way are we going? Because I'm sure I know a faster way to get there. You know, he didn't have ways, but I'm sure he had something to show him that there was a donkey down on this road or something. But so first God tells him, he's leaving your country your people, your father's home, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you're familiar with, where you've been your whole life, I need you to leave it and I need you to go somewhere I haven't told you yet. That makes my stomach turn upside down. You want me to go somewhere where you haven't told me yet? Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes his promise here in chapter 12. Abram is probably about 75 years old, so keep that in mind. So God promises Abram he will be a great nation. He will bless him, which would be offspring, kids, and wealth, and that his name would be great and that he will be a blessing to people. So here, you know, we see a promise, a covenant that God makes. And this is such an important theme throughout the entire Bible. We see them with Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, Moses, and so on. But before we move on, we need to kind of establish what these promises and covenants are and what they aren't. And Jen Wilkin, who is a great author and speaker, clears the air about what promises and covenants aren't. Because we often uh, fall into these pitfalls when we talk about covenants and promises in our lives. So she, she gives us four different things. The first one is we confuse a promise with a principle. We often take a principle in the Bible and assume it's a promise. For example, we often read Proverbs as a bunch of promises when in fact they're actually principles. Two, we ignore the context. We do this all the time. God makes a certain promise to a certain person, to a certain people group, to, for a specific purpose. And nothing beyond that context would it apply. So we pick verses that we like to choose, we like them, we'll apply it to our situation, when in fact that promise was made and completed for that specific thing. Three, overlooking the if. Sometimes obedience is required of us. 
such as in James, God says he will give us wisdom if we ask. (laughs) So we need to ask. And fourth, uh, limiting a promise to our own understanding. Our minds aren't fully capable of understanding everything. So we take promises to be only what we are capable of thinking, not what God is capable of doing. So yet, and we see that exactly with Sarah and Abraham here, that God can do the impossible and we must trust what God says. So these are different things that uh, Jen Wilkin kind of says we fall into, and these are things we should be cautious of, cautious of as we talk about principles and promises and covenants. So what are these promises and covenants? Uh, here we see John Walton kind of establish that, because when sin entered the world, there was the relationship between man and God was broken, and it needed to be restored. So God comes in to initiate and to take action to fix this problem. And this is what John Walton says. He says, the covenant is God's revelatory program. People cannot enter into a relationship with a God they don't know. The needy gods of the ancient world were not the sort that people wanted to be in relationship with. So that's what makes this covenant so important. God of the universe who created everything was revealing himself to mankind to make himself known, to show his heart, to show his character, to show his attributes. We get to know who God is. That is amazing. So God was establishing a relationship with his people so he could restore the relationship that was broken so that one day we could boldly approach the throne of God. So they take off on their journey. They gather their family possessions and they leave everything they have ever known to go to the unknown. So from the rest of this chapter to 15, chapter 15, uh, we see a lot happen in Abram's life. We see so many different events occur. And with all that is going on, uh, Abram started to, like us all, have some doubts, started to have some fears, probably wondering, why did I leave my hometown in the first place? I had family, money, a history there, and now my life's uncomfortable. And what you told me, God, would happen hasn't happened yet. We still don't have any kids. <laughs> And the reason Abram and Sarai were probably questioning and scared was because not having a child then in antiquity was humiliating, especially not having a baby boy, because that is how the father's name continued on. The, you know, the heir was traveled down through the, boy, the men of the family. And also for Sarai, because women found purpose and provided for their family by having kids, especially boys. Now, this is what society placed on them, not God. So they are really feeling the pressure and the time ticking away of the ability to make that happen. And God knows our thoughts. God knows our fears. He knows our concerns. And he comes to remind Abram and Sarai about that. And this is what a loving God we have. And it says that in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your very, great re- your very reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So God speaks to Abram and starts off with the gentle, loving care of a father. Fear not, because I know that you're you're fearing right now, that you're scared. I know the thoughts and concerns that you have, and he comforts him, which is just such an amazing way that God uh, takes care of us today as well. And then Abram reminds God that he still doesn't have a son. Their patience was getting tested. Their dependence on God was getting tested. Their inadequacy was getting revealed. Abram is getting upset and scared that he and Sarai can't make a baby. 
What will you give me for I continue childless? And I think he's upset because he is not in control. Up to this point, he made the decisions. He was the CEO, the big man on campus, the head honcho. Every decision he made worked, and it uh, produced something positive. And for once in his life, he wasn't in control. What he was doing wasn't working. He was getting irritated and feeling the effects of being helpless. And I think we all do this. When we place things into our own hands, we try to accomplish it, and it doesn't work. We can't fix it. We can't do it. We get upset, right? Maybe we, throw, we can't fix something, so we throw it on the ground, we break something else. <laughs> We've all done this before. And I think this is where Abram is at in his life. He just, I, why isn't it working? Abram has to depend on God for this. Why? Because God creates life, and God is in control. So an amazing moment happens next in verse 5. It says this, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. This is so cool and so powerful. Such a special moment. Now, if you've never left this area or near New York City, this probably doesn't really mean much to you. But if you have, you've gotten away from the light pollution, the big cities. Maybe you've gone to Alaska. You've gone, you know, really far up north. Somewhere where there's not light pollution and you've looked up at night, you know how beautiful the universe is, how beautiful the stars are, how bright the planets shine. So God takes Abram and says, look up. See those stars? I made those. See those planets? I made those also. Just by speaking it. Just by speaking it. So if I can do that, if I can create a universe, I can create a baby for you. It's just so cool. What an amazing way for God to tell Abram, I got this. I got this. And Abram, in the next verse we see, is such an important verse on salvation in the Old Testament. In verse 6, it says this, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram is righteous based on his belief in God. We don't read this after the altar being made, the laws being brought down, the circumcision. We read this in the Old Testament that faith saves us. Faith saves us. And it was on the basis of faith that Abram was credited righteousness. When Abram sees a barren wife, an old wife, he's old, he saw failure, impossibility, yet he believed what God said more than what he could see. So, so much already is happening. Abram left his house, everything he knew, based on a promise from God. And he takes that step of faith and must depend on God this whole journey. And it makes me shake in my seat. You know, this is just crazy reading this. God is the only guide that Abram can follow on this journey. So Abram jumps in because he believes God will catch him. And this is some real faith. So what this makes me think of going on this journey, depending on God, is one of my cousins, uh, Josh, is a survival guide. He leads people on expeditions all over the world through forests, jungles, teaches them how to build shelter, how to, you know, catch a rabbit and cook it. Uh, so he does this all over the world. It's amazing. I hope to do it one day. He takes business CEOs, average Joes, all, all, all in between, and takes them on these survival, day, uh, survival weekends, weeks, whatever it is. And he's going to places where, you know, one person one, one time asked him, you know, if things take a bad turn here, like we can get like a helicopter evac, right? You know, if a big storm comes in or, you know, we run out of food, my cousin takes out his phone, I think, and it's like, 
Well, my phone has no service here, so I don't think that's going to happen. So they're in remote places. So if I am on one of these trips with my cousin, guess who I'm going to depend on to help me survive, <laughs> to help me learn how to build shelter, to catch food, to cook it. I'm going to de- whatever he tells me, I'm going to do. Yet he often tells me when the tough gets going, uh, people start to question him, question the things he's, he asks. So one time there was this crazy storm coming in, and one of these, a few of the guys get, okay, a little scared. So he tells them, right, we're going we're gonna to make shelter, we're going to make food, we've got to make a fire so we can stay warm. And of course, people get a little antsy, and you know, maybe the way he told them seemed like it was going to take a while. Well, making a fire that way is going to take a while. Building a shelter that way is going to take a while. So these people try to take it into their own hands. I wouldn't do that necessarily in these trips, but some people, people do. Uh, but what we see here is that when we do do that, we fail. We kind of mess up. The, the, the plan we think is better doesn't work. So what these people are doing is not trusting their guide. And what we see here with Abram is that he is going to be tested Right? And we'll see if he trusts his guide. So when your patience is tested, like these people on these survival trips like Abram, how do you react when your patience is getting tested? Do you say, all right, I'm done. I know that was a plan, but I can't, I can't do it anymore. I've waited long enough. I'm going to do it a different way because that's not working. So I think that's what we see with Abram here. He, he's depending on God, but the way God wants this to work out, Abram and Sarah are saying, okay, that's taken way too long. We're going to do it a different way. And that's what we see happens next in chapter 16. We see some doubts are happening. So chapter 16, verse 2 says this. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Does this sound like something vaguely familiar? Questioning God's word again? I think we saw this a few chapters earlier in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And we know what happens when we question God's word. So Sarai is at her wit's end. Her patience is getting tested. She feels defeated, worthless. She's stressed. She's anxious. She feels like a failure. These are the feelings that she was experiencing. Now remember what I said before. In antiquity, there was importance on women to have kids, especially sons. So if you weren't doing this, you were a failure. You didn't matter. And that's how you proved yourself, provided for your family. And I wonder if some of this still lingers on in our society today for women. So if this is something you or maybe someone you know is going through, know that they're probably feeling these emotions. So reach out, show compassion, show love as they undergo uh, these struggles. So now with these emotions going on and Sarai, she's really feeling that she can't do it anymore. She's defeated and she will go whatever path necessary to get that baby. So here is Sarai, not thinking God's going to fulfill her pro- his promise. It's been long enough. If he was able to do it, probably would have done it by now. So she tells her husband, go and get my servant pregnant. That's how you will have your baby boy. She's looking into the deep end. Doesn't think God's going to catch her. Doesn't think he's there. So she goes about it another way through Hagar. She took it into her own hands. She didn't trust God's plan of having a child through her. And again, here we have a compliant, passive man Again, as we saw in Adam, not so long before this. Abram just had so many amazing experiences. He showed his great faith. And then this happens. They go against the word of the Lord. They don't believe what he said. 
And this reminds me of a, a favorite childhood movie of mine called Finding Nemo. So before we had to find Nemo, uh, Nemo and all of his friends were out playing, and they see this big boat off in the distance in the open water. So each, each little uh, animal, I forget which ones they were, all different types of fish, says, all right, I'm going to go out far and get really close to it. So the first one goes, you know, hardly anywhere. Look at me, look how far I got. The next one goes a little farther. Look at me, look how far I got. Eventually, it was Nemo's turn. Nemo's sitting there, and he, he's like, I'm going to get this. But right before he goes, the dad comes swimming in, says, Nemo, don't swim to the boat. That's open water. That's dangerous. You can't swim that well. So the wise father knows the dangers of the water, knows the swimming capabilities of his son, and says, don't do it. It's dangerous. So what does Nemo do? He's rebellious. He's defiant. He goes, and as you can see in the picture, he goes and touches the boat. And guess what happens? We have an hour and a half film trying to find Nemo. So Nemo touches the boat, and he gets caught, and he goes into a fish tank at like a dentist's office or something like that. But what we see here is Nemo questioning the words of the wise father. The father said, don't do this, and Nemo says, I'm going to. And how often do we do that with God? We try to prove ourselves. I can do this. I'm strong. I'm able to do this. We take it into our own hands, even if God tells us something else. We think we know best that we can do this. And this is how Sarai feels. All because of this barrenness, she couldn't wait any longer. This became her idol. The thing she wanted most in life was this baby. She's been struggling with infertility for probably 50 to 60 years. And she says, I'm going to get that baby for Abram no matter what it takes. I will find an alternative regardless of what God said. So my question to you is, what is, what is your idol? What are things in life you're willing to maybe sacrifice some moral and ethical choices to get what you want? Look back in 2018. Where in, what areas in your life were you willing to compromise your beliefs, your integrity, your faith to get something you really, really wanted? Something you felt would bring you satisfaction or success in life. So how is 2019 going to be different in those areas. Because remember, God keeps his promises. God's word is truth. And once again, God comes in to comfort Abram, and he will come to comfort you. If God promises something to you, he will keep them. So here we see God reminding Abram of the promises that he has made. So in chapter 17, we see Sarai and Abram's names are being changed to Sarah and Abraham. I can finally say Sarah and Abraham. Abraham's now, name now meant father of multitude, and Sarah's name meant princess. His name meant father of multitude, and he has no kids, <laughs> and he's old. <laughs> is this a joke, God? What's going on here? But that's what God is able to do. He's able to rewrite your name. He's able to rewrite your story. And where many people think the story is over, because of the ability of Abraham and Sarah, God says this story continues because I'm the one writing it. And this is so true for all of you as well. We so often think we're done. We failed, it's over. My marriage is done. My career is done. My reputation is over. God isn't done writing your story yet. And I know by your eyes, it may look impossible. But as we read earlier in the children's Bible, Abram trusted what God said 
more than what he saw. So will you trust what God says more than what you can see in your life? So let's see how Abram and Sarai respond. In verse 16, it says this, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God is speaking to Abraham here and confirming once again his covenant that is through Sarah, that the child should be born. The heir of Abraham, the son whom he was promised when he was 75, right after they left, right at Ur, when he left, right after they failed to trust God, after they sinned, he comes to remind them and says, it's through you. It's through you, Abraham. It's through you, Sarah, that this promise will be fulfilled. I'm the God who placed the stars in the sky, the planets in the, uh, in the sky. Just by the words that I speak, I am coming to remind you that I will fulfill my promise with you, and Sarah will bear a baby boy. Abraham laughs. Maybe not out of doubt, but just astonishment. Like, how is this going to work? But okay, if you say it, it must, it must happen. But Abraham is not the only one to laugh. And we'll see in the next chapter, 18, that someone else is laughing around the birth of Isaac. I think that's why his name, Isaac, means laughter. So let me summarize chapter 18 for you. So there is a meal happening with Abraham. Three men come to dine with him possibly God with two angels. And here is God literally speaking to Abraham once again, reminding him, I'm going to fulfill my promise through you and Sarah. And Sarah's in another room and she laughs to herself. So this means she probably wasn't bursting out with a really loud laugh. And I know we all have a friend like that. We tell a joke at a restaurant and we really question whether we should have said that because now everyone's staring at us because this guy keeps laughing so loud. That's probably not what's happening here. What's happening here is Sarah is probably laughing, maybe even in her head. Yet God sees and God hears. So Sarah was probably thinking, my days of having kids are long gone. I'm past my childbearing years. There's no chance at this point I can have a kid. And God knows that Sarah is giving up. She doesn't think that at this point it can happen. It was all too good to be true. And you know the saying, if it's too good to be true... It's probably too good to be true, <laughs> except that phrase doesn't really work with, with our God. And God can see the fears and the doubts of Sarah. And something really cool is eventually down through the line of Abraham and Sarah, we see someone born named King David. And King David wrote uh, many of the Psalms, and one of them says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. God can discern the thoughts of Sarah from afar. He knows the fears, the, the struggles she is going through and comes to remind them once again, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I am faithful. And I find this all too true in my own life. When I'm struggling with, with doubts, when I'm struggling with money, humility, control, I go through a devotional each day, each morning. And time and time again, I'm reading something, exactly what I'm experiencing that day. And that is what God is doing here. He knows what Abraham and Sarah are going through, and he comes right on time to remind them to say, I'm faithful. I will be the promise maker and the promise keeper. And I think their time of waiting has come close to an end. In chapter 21, verse 1, we read this. 
the fulfillment. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. This is a miracle. A 90-year-old and a 100-year-old just had a baby. This is supernatural. Even in their old age, after all this time, God remained faithful. Now remember, I said when this promise was made, how old was Abraham? 75. 25 years of waiting. 25 years later, God fulfills his promise. They're holding their precious baby boy named Isaac. God followed through. And I know for a lot of us, we think, why would he wait 25 years? That's a long time. But God's timing is always the perfect timing. To us, it would have made sense for Sarah to have the babies in her 20s when she was healthy, active, all that. But that's not, the, that's not the case because God's plan is what we need. God's plan is what we need to happen in our lives because he is patient and his timing is perfect. And a good reminder for us about God's timing is in Second Peter chapter 3 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's plan was to reveal his glory through Abraham and Sarah. And how much more powerful does our God look? The fact that they had a baby at 90 and 100 years old. Something unexplainable. And one thing that comes to my mind, something amazing about this story, is the fact that Isaac was a boy. You know, that, that, that promise was fulfilled even to the fact that they had a baby and had a boy. And in my own life, when I grew up, I was, I'm one of four boys. And uh, when it was just me and my two older brothers, you know, they were picking on me, teasing on me. And I was like, this is something I really want to do. I want to do this to someone. <laughs> so when I was about four years old, I started praying every night. I got on my knees and I started praying for a baby brother named Noah. My parents probably thought this was so sweet and so nice. And I was like, I can't wait to tease him. This is going to be great. Because that's a big brother's responsibility through life. So every night, I was praying for my baby brother named Noah. Why I chose the name Noah, I I still don't really know. It's just a cool name. So I was praying for a baby brother named Noah. And then about like a year later, probably, I had a baby brother named Noah. It was amazing. God answered my prayers. You know, he's one of my best friends, my best man at my wedding. Now, when, when I was younger, I was like, well, of course I had a baby brother. That's what I prayed for, you know? Here's Noah. I thought he was going to come into the world with animals at his side, you know, with an ark next to him. But I was like, of course it's a baby boy. That's what I asked for. Now that I'm older, I'm more wise. I realized, like, that was like a 50-50 shot. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> I wonder what my parents were thinking, you know, well, what if it's not a boy? How do we tell them the news, you know? But I think that just also confirms that God was at work through Abraham and Sarah. They had a boy. They had a boy. And I wonder if they were wondering, what if we have this baby and it's a girl? What do we do? But it was a boy, just confirmation that God is faithful. Not just having a baby, but having a baby boy named Isaac. So here we are 25 years later. Ups and downs through it all. God was faithful. Baby Isaac was born. The journey was not easy, and yet Abraham and Sarah are holding on to their baby boy, their very own. What an amazing journey that we get to read about.
And I love what Kent Hughes says about this journey. He says this, As a man of faith, Abraham was subject to a polishing process whereby God worked through the ups and downs of life to make him more and more godly and more usable to God. The process was one of grace from beginning to end. That is because of the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord being the one to keep the promises he makes. Even when Abraham was not faithful, God was. It's the grace of God that Abraham and Sarah get to hold their baby. The journey of God using every event, whether good or bad, to polish, to mold, to to clean, to make Abraham and Sarah who they are. The start of the line that would one day Jesus would come from. And God will do the same with us. He will use the events in our lives, the good, the bad, to mold us, to shape us, to polish us, to prepare us for something great as well. To be used to glorify God, to spread his name to the ends of the earth. So as we reflect back on this past year of 2018, we probably see many occasions where we lost hope, where we placed the trust in ourselves, where we didn't have faith that God could do the impossible. Well, that's one of the greatest things about our God. Even when we fail, he doesn't. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. So as we enter into this new year, let us hold on to the promises of God and know that God is faithful. And Jen Wilkin continues her article and not only clears what promises aren't, but what promises and covenants are. And she says, here are six things, six promises that we can hold on to today. He promises to give us wisdom. He promises to provide a way out of temptation. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He promises to finish the good work he began in us, and he promises to come back. Take these, hold on to these truths as we come up to the new year of 2019. And may we remember them every single day. Because when we forget that God is faithful, that God always follows through on his promises, we doubt, we fear, we try to do things based on our own strength and capability, yet God is always faithful. Speaking of the word always reminds me of a well-known reference in the famous books, Harry Potter. There's a major character named Professor Snape. And throughout the seven books of the series, he appears as a villain. No one likes him. He's always picking on the students, especially Harry and his friends. And they actually think he was part of the bad side. He worked for the villain and all this stuff. So by the end of the series, you really just don't like him very much. Yet as the story is closing... Harry gets to see some of the memories of Professor Snape before he dies. One particular memory was one of the school's headmaster principal, uh, Dumbledore, with Professor Snape. Dumbledore trusted him with some very important information and trusted Snape to protect Harry throughout his life. And this whole time, Harry has no idea why. He doesn't like me. He picks on me and my friends. He thought he was a bad guy. So you get to see the memories in the life of this professor. And you see that as growing up, he had a a crush. He loved and and cared for Harry's mom. And we see that he loved her. So throughout all the novels, the instances where you see Harry and you think that the professor is picking on him, teasing on him. Sometimes they thought he was trying to kill him. You actually change the vantage point to him. And you see that throughout all these years of his life, he was actually protecting him. Saving him, keeping him safe throughout all these events. 
all because he promised to protect him. He loved his mother, so he was going to take care of her son. And the famous line that all the Harry Potter fans remember is Dumbledore asks him near the end of his life, you know, considering all the times where he was saving and protecting him, he asks, even after all this time, Snape said, always, always. So I picture Sarah holding their baby Isaac with Abraham, looking up to God and saying, God, even after we doubted, even after we messed up, we sinned, we took it into our own hands and failed, we laughed at you, we failed. Even after all this time, God, always, always. I'm going to invite the band back up at this time. Now we get to look back at some memories as well through the Bible. We see the memories of how God has always been at work to protect us, to save us. And as Professor Snape was all along saving and protecting Harry, God is doing the same with his people throughout the Bible. He started with a promise with Abraham and Sarah and worked with a lot of people that messed up and failed and doubted. And 42 generations later, of ups and downs, of failures, a baby would be born named Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God promised us a Savior, a Messiah, and Jesus was born thousands of years later. So as we look back on this past year of 2018, we probably look at ourselves, we saw failures, mistakes. Maybe we didn't jump in, yet God remains faithful. When we fail or mess up, God doesn't, you know, scratch our name off the list and say, all right, I'll find somebody else. We would think we would see that in the Bible. We see so many people fail, mess up. We would think God would just say, okay, I can't use you. I'm going to find somebody else. But what we see is God is faithful. He keeps his promises, even to the end. So as we enter into 2019, it may look like the deep end is super scary. We're at the edge of the diving board, two days away from jumping in. We know it's going to be a tough one. We look at our own failures, our own inadequacies, and we think we just can't do it. But let's look back at the memories And see that now, thousands of years later, we can look to God and his faithfulness and his promises that he keeps. We could say, God, even after all this time, always, always. Let's pray.